Open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. As you do that, our core kids are dismissed to their classes. Colossians chapter 1, and we are going to read from verse 19. Colossians 1 and verse 19. <clears throat> When you got it, say so. All right, Colossians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth whether or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Lord God, thank you so much for your word that is true, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you because you are a good, loving, and gracious, gracious Father. And we are so grateful because of your love that you have shown us in the cross, because of your love that you continue to reveal to us in our lives daily, Lord God, and your provisions and your mercy. And Lord God, we thank you because we can rejoice in the song that we've sung today, Lord, that you are perfect in all of your ways. Your wisdom is beyond ours, and so we humble ourselves before you, and we pray, God, speak to us, illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts, Lord God, through the preaching and teaching of your word. May you be glorified. May we not solely hear what is being said, but Lord, may it penetrate our hearts, and may we respond to you in faith and obedience to bring you glory and honor in all things. In Jesus' good name, everyone said Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. Just keep your hand up until you receive the outline. We want to make sure you're able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon. Uh, also want to be sure that you're able to answer the questions that are there. And as I always like to remind you, you are a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are called to help others either come to faith in Christ or to grow in their faith in Christ. And one of the ways that you do that is by studying the scriptures with them. And so you don't have to create a new Bible study for someone. You can simply say, hey, this is what I'm learning on Sunday mornings. Let's sit down and let's talk about what I'm learning and let me help you learn more about Jesus. And in the process, what you will end up doing is you will also grow more because as a teacher of God's word, I know that I learn his word better when I teach it to others. And it also holds me accountable to live it. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, also just want to say this week uh, or last week was actually the beginning of Connect. And um, if you have not signed up and have not um, decided to be part of one of our core Connect life groups, I encourage you to do so. Um, it is not not too late. We want to make sure that everybody signs up. So go on Realm um, and search in groups and you'll be able to see what groups are available. And you can go ahead and you can join one of those groups, get connected, get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ, grow in your faith and grow together with the body, which is what we want to make sure that we do. Um, on your outline there, you'll find on the top of the outline, uh, every week moving forward, I told you that we would be saying our memory verse together. And so we're going to read this together three times, right? And, and, and the reason why I want us to do this is because this is, this is 
is part of how you memorize scripture. It's through repetition, right? And so you're not going to memorize scripture if you're not repeating it, if you're not rehearsing it. And so we're going to rehearse this together. And so I know it's early. I know that I know that some of you are still waiting for the caffeine to kick in. I know that, you know, uh, first service is, is like that. But I want you to read with, uh, with an enthusiasm in your voice, right, with, uh, with, 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 a, with a voice that is that I, I'm going to tell you, don't necessarily use your outside voice, but use a voice that we can all hear and enjoy together, okay? So we're going to read this together, and it's going to go ready. One, two, three. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That was good. I, th I think that was good. That was a good first time, right? Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Ready? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. One more time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Come on, give yourselves a hand. That was good. Good job there early morning reading together. So next week you'll be even better, right? And then in and the, and the following week, we're all going to just look at each other because we will have memorized it and then we won't need to look down anymore and we'll be able to just do that. And so I think that this, this I mean, I love this verse. It's, it's just so powerful, you know, so poetic. And, and like I said last week, this was part of a hymn that, or what is believed to be one of the first hymns of the church, which was meant to help us to understand who Jesus is in his fullness and in his deity. And so I want you to memorize this, meditate on this. And I just encourage you, don't just memorize this for this series, but let this be something that really works in your heart, that you're always reminded of who Jesus is. And so second or, or the only paragraph there in your outline, it is only because of who Jesus is that he can do what scripture says he did. And so, you know, it, in, the, in, the, in the workout world, right, if you don't, if you don't video it, sometimes, you know, we'll say it didn't happen, right? Meaning that if you say, hey, man, I lifted this much weight, and they'd be like, did you get a video of that? Like, you have any witnesses? Then it didn't happen, right? And, and, and for some people, because you may have seen some videos, if someone was to say to you, hey, so-and-so um, lifted this much, you'd be like, oh, I could see that happening because of who that person is. But now, if you go to someone else who is slightly weaker than, you know, or, you know, someone that you've never seen lift that much weight, I'll give you a story. Uh, when I was really young, you know, um, I was, and when I say young, I was probably like around... 
I'm going to say like 12 or 13. It was right around the time before I dropped out of church. And, you know, uh, there, there's, there's something that happens when you are a young man that is insecure. And this may still happen to some of you, but you tend to exaggerate facts. Right? So, like, someone asks you, like, yo, how much do you bench press, right? And so, for me, as a kid, 12 years old, I want to impress this mentor of mine. And I'm like, well, you're like 145 pounds or whatever. I'm 12, all right? I've never lifted a weight before in my life, but yet I can bench 145 pounds. Well, nonetheless, i never forget the day um, we went to the gym together. And then we were there, and he was like, well, come on, let's go ahead and lift. And so, I remember how difficult that 145 pound was and that I couldn't lift it. And it was because of who I was, right? And so, because of who I was, I couldn't accomplish that thing because I wasn't strong enough in order to be able to do that. I wasn't able to do it. And so I had no credibility in saying, well, I can lift stuff. Now today I have some videos, right? I'm not going to show you them today, but nonetheless, I do have some videos which will affirm that I can lift some of those things that I say I can lift. And so, you know, if, if, if ever I say hey, I lifted this, I'll go check the tape, right? Because we always get, you got to get it on tape, right? And so you, you affirm that, right? And so when we look at Jesus and we look at who he is, it is only because of who Jesus is that he's able to do those things. He's able to lift the weight that he says that he can. He's able to do what he says because of who he is. But if we don't know who he is, if we don't start foundationally with who Jesus is, then you know what's going to happen? We're going to have issues seeing him be able to do the things that he says he can do. And so it's important for us to look at this scripture, this memory verse, and look at the scripture that we looked at this morning and realize what the Bible is saying about Jesus. And going back to the, to the theme of this book, the Gnostic teachers, and this is in your paragraph there, the Gnostic teachers were seeking to minimize the saving, reconciling work of Jesus on the cross as being insufficient, partial, and therefore inadequate to fully save mankind. The idea throughout the book of Colossians is that you need Jesus for sure sure, plus other things. You need Jesus, but you also need these legalistic things. You, you need to be a, a person who stays away from things in order to really be saved. And, and what Paul is trying to communicate is none of this is true. You are saved because of who Jesus is. And, and the title of the message this morning is Reconciled. He uses this word reconciled to communicate some things to us that are true. And we, you and I, we must hold true to what the Bible says about Jesus, knowing that he is God and and he is, is the only Savior, sufficient and necessary for all of creation. We have, to, we have to make a determination as believers, am I going to hold to what the Bible says? <clears throat> because we live in a culture that rejects the Bible. We live in a culture and people around us that, again, they, they create a God in their image. They have an idea of who Jesus is, but they don't really believe that he can do those things or that you need him and so on and so forth. And so it's important for us to embrace what the scriptures teach about who Jesus is. And so here is the big idea that I have for you this morning. God made peace with us and he accepted expects us to, per, to persevere in him. God made peace with us, and he expects us to persevere in him. He made peace through the cross. He died in our place. Jesus dies in our place, making peace with us, bringing us back into a right relationship. When we deal with that word reconciliation, it is to restore something to a prior harmony. It is to bring back this peace. There was an enmity between us and God, and so what happens is there's this separation, and we'll look at that in, in, in a couple of moments as we get to the third point in the message. But what we realize is that God made peace with us. And when he makes peace with us, he expects us to persevere in him. 
He expects us to continue in that peace, to walk in that peace, not just to experience peace one day, for one moment, for one service, for one hour, but he wants us to persevere in that peace. He wants us to be able to continue in it. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, we must recognize who the reconciler is. We must recognize who the reconciler is. We must recognize who he is. We must look at what the scriptures say about him. And again, when we look at Colossians, um, Paul, he's talking about some things that make us think and, and, and really make us, make us pause for a moment. It's not just about getting excited, but it's about really laying a solid foundation in our hearts of who Jesus is. We've been reconciled because of who the reconciler is. So let's look at verse 19 and 20 and unpack them a little bit. It says this. It says, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And so let's look at that because he says, for please the Father, for it's God's pleasure, it's God's glory. God, God is happy with this thing and is that in him. Who is him there? Him is Jesus. Him, the him that is there is Jesus, that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, for by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Our view of Jesus can never, understand this, it can never be too big, and I would say this, I don't think this side of heaven it will ever be big enough. You hear me? Our view of Jesus can never be too big. The Bible says that we are to magnify the Lord. That's what the book of Psalms says. What singing is about, right, in my estimation, when we sing in church, it's about magnifying Jesus. But I want you to think about this for a moment because the Bible is telling us to do something that seems impossible. It's, it's something that, that, that is almost like an oxymoron. How do you magnify someone that is beyond your understanding? How do you make someone, when you, I mean, when you take a magnifying glass to something, what are you doing? You are, magna, you are making it bigger. Let me ask you a question. Can you or I make God bigger? Can we do anything to make God bigger? Can we do anything to make him more, more grand? Or we, we can't do anything to magnify him in, in the sense of making him bigger. What we do is we magnify him in our own understanding. What we do, and when the Bible says that, is we are to magnify the Lord, that we, are to, that we are to make him great. We're to make his name great. What does that mean? It means that we are supposed to exalt him. We're supposed to bring him glory and honor and praise that he is worthy of. And what happens is, as we sing songs unto the Lord, not only are we lifting up praise to him, but what should be happening, if these songs are biblically sound, if these songs are gospel-centered, you know what they do? They begin to magnify the Lord in our minds. They begin to magnify. As we sang this song this morning, one of my favorite songs, Good, Good Father, as we sing that song, as we sing those words, what should be happening is that the magnification of God's love, of God's fathering of us should be happening. And as we get into this worship, see, what happens is when you are in that place of worship, all of a sudden, everything else begins to pale in comparison to the one that you're worshiping, right? That's what begins to happen. Think about this for a moment. It's, worship is about focusing in on something or someone that is greater than us. That's what we do in worship. And can I tell you something? Sometimes the objects of our worship don't deserve our attention. Are you here? Sometimes the things that we are focused on, those things begin to overwhelm our lives. And so what will happen to us in many cases is we start to magnify things instead of magnifying the Lord. 
We start to magnify scenarios or situations in our lives rather than magnifying the Lord. We start magnifying our to-do lists rather than magnifying the Lord. We start to magnify our problems rather than magnifying the Lord. And what happens is those things begin to overwhelm our minds. But when you and I begin to magnify the Lord, what happens to us is we begin to see him over and greater than all of those things that we are looking at. Are you here? That is what happens when we, you and I, begin to magnify the Lord. And so we understand this principle. And the reality is that our idea, our understanding of who Jesus is, our view of Jesus can never be too big. It can never be too big. It should always be growing until the day that we see him with unveiled faces. Again, Paul is fighting against what? This Gnostic belief, these false teachings that are being communicated there that Jesus was just some emanation from God. He was just some some partial manifestation. That's what that is. He was a partial manifestation of the Godhead. He wasn't the fullness of God. And the apostle Paul comes back and he says, no, no, no. He is the pleroma of the Godhead. He is the fullness of the Godhead is what that, that pleroma means in the Greek. That's what that word is there. The fullness of the Godhead. He is the fullness, the plentitude of God. He is the fullness of the divinity. He is the sum total of the divine power and attributes. Understand that. He is everything in one package. When you looked at Christ, you saw God in all of his majesty and all of his power. And what he's communicating to this church in Colossae is he's saying, listen, I want you to understand that Jesus is not a part of God. He is all of the Godhead. What you have seen in him, what you have heard of him, he is all that, all the fulfillment of all of these prophecies and everything. He is the pleroma. He is the fullness, the plentitude of God. And then he said this other word there. He said, and the fullness, it pleased the Father that the fullness, that the fullness would dwell, the fullness of God would dwell in him. And so what is that? word dwell mean? It means to be there permanently, to habitate somewhere permanently. And, and, and the word actually gives this idea. It isn't something that it became to be at some point, like all of a sudden God came. No, no, no. He's saying that the fullness of God has dwelt there, has been dwelling there, has been at home permanently from eternity past is what he's saying about Jesus. And what does it say that he did? It says, and he reconciled all things. Look at that. It says that he reconciles all things, verse 20, to himself by him. In case they didn't get it the first time. It was by him. He does it by him, whether things on earth, earthly things. Remember, remember the, the Gnostics, they don't believe earthly stuff matters. This earth doesn't matter. And he said, wait a second. He has reconciled all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, having done what? Having made peace through the blood of his cross having made peace through the blood of his cross. Listen, the gospel is so important for us that we continually remind ourselves that we are continually reminded of what it is that Jesus did. Our time of communion is such an important time for us because every week, no matter what, we are always going to look at the cross. We are always going to look at what Jesus has done because that is what matters. The reason why we gather, the reason why we are together is because of what what Jesus did on the cross. The only hope that we have is because of what Jesus did on the cross because we in and of ourselves are hopeless and helpless, but Jesus does something great on the cross. He offers this reconciliation. So what does it mean to be reconciled? I said it earlier. It means to restore to a prior state of harmony. 
to restore to a prior state of harmony. You know, when you look at your Bible and you see it, when, when you go back in the book of Genesis, you find that God creates all things. And when he creates everything that he creates, he says after he creates it that these things are good. Everything was good. There were no thorns. You obviously know that because when he cursed the ground, that's when thorns came to be. I'm assuming that's when mosquitoes came as well. The reality is that there was no suffering. There was no hardship. There was labor, but there wasn't this labor that, 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 that you ever sowed a seed. When you look at the parable of the sower, what you find is you find all of these different grounds and all of these different scenarios that are there, things that are difficult. And you know what? The, and, and the Bible shows us that, that, that when, the, when man fell, the earth was cursed because of him. And all of a sudden, he was going to toil and, and work was going to be hard. Now, it didn't mean that work wasn't going to be fulfilling. I mean, any man in here, you know, can say, man, it feels good to work. It feels good to accomplish something. There's some days we're tired. Hello, somebody, right? There's some days we're worn out. There's some, but, but there, there's a fulfillment in work. You know why? Because that's a pre that, that's a pre-fall reality. God didn't say start working after the fall. He said work was going to get hard and was going to be frustrating after the fall. And so we have this idea that we are there and, and, and God is, and God is saying we restore. When he says reconcile, he's reconciling. He's trying to bring everything back into that place of harmony. Where, where, where do we see that harmony? We see that harmony in the Garden of Eden where there was a walk between God and man. There was a relationship between God and man that was unhindered by sin. There was a relationship that was there that wasn't fractured because of disobedience. And he's saying, look, he's reconciled all things. Creation and all created beings have been reconciled because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so the second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. We must acknowledge our need for reconciliation. We must acknowledge our need for reconciliation. You know, when we look at creation, I'll say this before we move on to this point here, but when we look at creation, the Bible teaches that creation is groaning. It is awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. It is awaiting a day that there is no longer this groaning, this suffering, this heart. It no longer produces thorns and all of these difficulties. It's waiting for that day, and, and we can't do anything. We need to understand this. We cannot reconcile ourselves. We cannot reconcile the earth. I like to say it like this we can recycle all we want but we can't reconcile hello somebody listen we can go ahead we can hug all the trees we want to hug we can do everything we can for the environment and I assure you and you know what I do believe in global warming I'm going to tell you why because the Bible says that at the end fire is going to consume this earth so I would assume it's getting hotter until that day hello somebody not very scientific, but anyway, all, all I'm saying is that I, I, I believe, right? Like, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to argue with scientists. The, the Bible teaches me that as creation continues to groan, as creation continues to become more and more difficult, and, and what's going to happen is the creation is going to continue. You're going to continue to see weather that is out of control. You're going to continue to see earthquakes and, and all of these different things, famines. and all. Why? Because the Bible says that these things are going to happen, and then the end is going to come. And so just the reality is we can do everything we want. We can have the, the, the smartest cars in the world. We can have, listen, it does not matter what we do. There is a day that this earth will be consumed. And the only hope that the earth has is the same hope that we have. And it is looking at the cross and the blood of Jesus. It is looking at what Christ has done. That is where our hope is. And so the second point is we must acknowledge our need for reconciliation. Look at verse 21. He says, and you who once were alienated. 
and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Look at that. That's beautiful. He's right. But you know what Paul does? Paul does this. He's been, he, he's been in this place of, of theory. He's been in this place where he's been describing the majesty of Jesus and the wonder of Jesus. But here's the thing. What does that matter? What does it matter to you if you know all of this? He's the creator God. He reconciled you on the cross. What does that even matter? It doesn't matter if this is not a reality. And we have to recognize this. And so what does the apostle do? He shifts gear to show the practical implications of what Jesus has done. He brings us back to this place, and he looks at our past, our present, and our future. And so in this point, we're going to look at our past. But then the next point, we'll look at the future. And so we'll run through this quickly. He calls to their remembrance of who who they were. What what does he say about them? He says three things about them. He says, number one, they were alienated. Number two, they were enemies. And number three, they they had wicked works. So the first thing, they were alienated. He said, you were alienated. You were alienated. What does that mean? That means that you were separated. That means that you had no connection to God. Other scripture tells us that that, that we didn't have an inheritance. We were without God. Ephesians tells us without hope in this world. We were separated from God. It says that we were enemies. Enemies in our minds. What does that mean? It means that we were hostile towards God in our minds. Our thoughts weren't for his glory. Our thoughts weren't to honor him. We weren't thinking about glorifying him. Even in our good, it wasn't about God. It was about ourselves. It was about us feeling good about ourselves. That's why I always say, you know, there's people that are out there that are philanthropists and they're doing great things, but you know what they're doing that for? They're not doing it for for, for God's glory. If they don't know God, they're doing it because there is this vacuum of eternity in their heart. There's this conviction of sin in their lives. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to appease that by doing good for others. And so if I do good for others, then I do what? I become my own savior. I become my own functional savior. And Jesus said, no, no, no. There's only one savior. There's only one that can reconcile. And so we have this. We're enemies. We're hostile towards God in our mind. We don't want to obey God. I mean, if we're honest, even as believers, I mean, if, I, if we were to sit down, right, if we, if we have the, the capacity to go on ahead and just play back your thoughts in a day. As a believer, as one who loves Jesus, I'm not saying your whole day is going to be hostility towards God, but I am going to, I'd be willing to bet some good money. Hello, somebody. I'd be willing to bet some good money that your day would be filled with thoughts that there's some hostility towards God. There would be some moments that you'd be thinking some some thoughts, you're like, man, I shouldn't be thinking like that. There's some thoughts, there's some ways that you think people offend. I'm going to go in our leaders meeting later today. We're going to talk about nine um, character traits. I'll send you guys the, the article that I read this from. But nine character traits, nine, nine little things that show great stuff about your character. You know what one of them is? One of them is how do, you, how do you feel when someone takes that parking spot in the parking lot when you're going to the grocery store? Uh-huh. How do, how, how, how do you feel inside like when that happens, right? I'm going to tell you right now, that is probably one of the most carnal moments of anyone's life. Like nobody is there anyway. I'm gonna get it. But, but, but here's the thing. We're enemies, of, we're enemies of God in our minds. And you know what happens? What happens is our minds begin to think stuff and we have this hostility towards God. And then you know what we do? Our works begin to manifest that. 
All of a sudden we have these wicked works. And so what is it, what is it that, that, that Paul is trying to communicate here? He's trying to communicate to them and let them know. He's saying, listen, you were, you were, you were alienated from God. You were enemies of God in your mind. And you are demonstrating wicked works. Works that are wicked. Things that are dishonorable. Things that you were doing. Those were all things that you were doing from there. And here's the thing. We will never, ever experience reconciliation with God until we realize that we need it. Until we realize that we need it, we're never going to experience it. We'll never ask for reconciliation. Until we understand we desperately, desperately need God, we will never experience this reconciliation. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, reconciliation, reconciliation. Produces, produces persevering faith. Reconciliation produces persevering faith. And I, I, need, I need you to understand this because this is something that becomes so, so important for us as children of God to understand the permanence the, the strength of God's work inside of our hearts, the strength of what God has done within us at the moment that we came to faith in him. There is a work that God does inside of us. There is something that happened. His spirit comes to dwell in us. The Bible says he seals us unto a future date until he completes this work that he's begun in us. And you know, many of us, we say words like, yeah, he who's begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. But do we understand what we are saying? What we are saying is that there is a permanence of what has happened at the point of salvation. There is something that occurs. But here's what you have to understand along with that permanence and that assurance of your salvation that you should walk in if you're a child of God. That if your life is not demonstrating that you've been saved, you've got a problem. Hello. If you say you have put your faith in Jesus and yet your life does not look like you've put your faith in Jesus, there is a disconnect because God, we're going to see here what God does. Look at verse 22. It says this. It says, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And so look what he says. He said, we're going to go from verse 21 so you can grab the context there. And he says, in you who once were alienated, enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in his body of his flesh through death to do what? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. As God's enemies, what, 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 what do we see? God shows us great mercy, does he not? As his enemies, he shows us great mercy because we are his enemies, and you know what he should do? He should obliterate his enemies. Do you think God has the power to obliterate enemies? I think he does, and yet he does not because he is showing us mercy. He is demonstrating mercy toward us. He is showing us his great love, and so he demonstrates that in the cross, dying in our place, Jesus dies so he can do what? So he can reconcile us to himself, but here's what he also shows us, is he shows us that we now have a position, it's called reconciled. We are now reconciled to God. We are now back in a relationship with God. We are restored to this harmonious relationship that we see in the garden of Eden. We are restored to that place. Amen. Praise the Lord. But what is the purpose of this reconciliation? It is so that way he can present us holy, so he can present us blameless, so he can present us. In other words, he is doing something inside of us in order to do what? In order to demonstrate some things in us. So we will be above reproach. And so again, he shows us these three things that he's working inside of us. Holiness, blamelessness, and to be above reproach. And I want you to know Notice this. It says, in his sight. You see that? 
It says, in his sight. It's, understand this. It's not about what other people see or think. It's about what he sees and thinks. It's, it's, it's not about what other people think about you. You need to understand what matters is what God thinks about us. It's what God sees in us. See, some of us are so concerned about what other people think about us that we have a facade going on in our lives, but the reality is what matters, what does God see about you? Because you know what? He reconciled you so he could present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. It's not just so people, listen, it matters what people think for sure. People should, you should look at your life and be like, man, do I look like a person who brings glory and honor to God? Do I look like a person who honors God? Yeah, that matters. But listen, it's not just about looks. Because God looks beyond, you remember, I mean, when you go back into the Old Testament, you know God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. He looks at what's going on inside of our hearts. And so what we realize is this, is that God is going to make us holy. So what does that mean when it says he's going to make us holy? It means separated for God. It means exclusively his. Are you exclusively his? Are you exclusively his? It means to prefer one thing over another. He is going to present. In other words, like when the, when the Bible talks about, you know, they're going to separate the sheep from the goats. You know what that means? That means that God is preferring sheep over goats. Are you here? He's choosing what is holy over what is unholy. In other words, we are saved by grace for sure, but our life better demonstrate that we're saved. Because we can't be walking around saying, well, I made, a, I made a confession of faith one day. I prayed a prayer one day. I was baptized one day. I did this one day. I did that one day. I went to church every day or whatever the days I was supposed to go. I was in connect, you know, some days. I did these things. No, no, it's not about all of that stuff. The question is, are you exclusively his? Are you exclusively his in your heart, in your actions, in your life? It says to make you blameless is that next word there. And what does that word blameless mean? These are words holy and blameless. These are two words that point us to sacrifice. And when you study the Old Testament system of sacrifice, you understood that the sacrifices had to be without blemish without spot, right, without wrinkle, according to the New Testament standard. And so what God is doing is he is making us holy, exclusively his. He is making us choice over something else. That is, that is what he is doing inside of us through reconciliation. This is the work that's happening inside of us. He is declaring us blameless. And so the question is, are you trying to live a blameless life? Are you trying to live a life that is blameless, a life that says, God, I'm not perfect, but I am striving after perfection. I'm saying no to sin. I'm saying yes to you. Are you trying? Because if you're not, then there's a problem here. He goes on and he says to do what? To present us as holy and blameless and above reproach. And what does above reproach speak to? See, this one doesn't point us back to the Old Testament. This one points us to the heart. It points us to our character. It points us to the character traits that are inside of us and what is happening inside of our lives. And here's the thing. When we talk about the vision of our church, the vision of our church is to please God in everything that we do. It is to please God through faith and obedience to the written and revealed direction of his word. In simple terms, we live to please God. And can I tell you something? If you and I will live to please God, you know what we'll also do? We'll end up living a life that is without reproach. 
We'll end up living a life where no one can blame us. See, this, this word is about blame. And I want you to notice this. Now, please pay attention to this because this is really important for you. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, I think through verse 10, it gives a whole standard of stipulations for those who are going to be elders or those who are going to be bishops and overseers in a church. And you know what I believe the first standard is? The first standard is this, that they would be above reproach. And why do I say this is important? Because this is what God is doing inside of every believer, not just pastors and leaders. He's making all of us to be without reproach. In other words, he wants us to live our lives in a manner that no one can say, hey, you know what? This guy, man, I, he, I check him out. I see how he is. He's not living above reproach. He's not living a life that's all about God's glory. He's not living a life for him. Now, it's not saying anybody's going to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about people being able to look at your life and see what you are really about. And so you got to ask yourself the question, are you that? Because he goes on in verse 23, he says this. Look what he says. He, he goes and he says that this is what God is doing. He is, he, is, he is preparing you to present you to the Father as one that is holy, as one that is blameless, as one that is without reproach. And he tells you how this happens. How does this happen? Look what he says says here. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so he says, if he has this condition that is there. This is the way that this is going to happen. If this is not happening, the prior is not going to happen either. So how is it that we become holy? How is it that we become blameless? How is it that we become above reproach? It's by us being grounded and steadfast in the faith and the hope that is in the gospel. What is he saying here? Here's what I want you to understand. It may sound like if you listen to my, my prior point, you may think, man, I guess I have to work for my salvation. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying that you have to work for your salvation. He is saying the way that your salvation is being worked out in you by God, the way that God is making you holy, the way that God is making you blameless, the way that God is making you above reproach is because you are grounded and you are steadfast in the faith. Are you here? You are trusting 100% in Jesus. The reason why I remind you of the gospel weekly is because I do not ever want you to think that you and your ability have the capability or the capacity to please God without the work of his spirit in your life. And that is through faith in Jesus and what he's done. It is not me. Listen, if I try to measure my life, I just gave you the example a moment ago. If we go on ahead and you, were to, and you were to play our lives back a day of our thoughts, then you would see things. Can I tell you something? I don't do, I don't, I'm not willing to wager money because I know your thoughts. It's because I know my own thoughts. It's because I know the battles that I go through. I know the things that I think about. I know the struggles that I have in my mind where I wrestle with things with God. Where I struggle. And so because I know that, that's something that's there. But you want to know what keeps me grounded? It's not my perfection. It's the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And, 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 what the, and what the Gnostic false teachers were trying to do is to get these people to leave the faith in Jesus alone to go ahead and try to make their own way of salvation. Where Jesus was a part of it, but that he wasn't it. And what Paul is saying is you've got to be grounded, right? So grounding is what? Foundation. 
And then he says steadfast. Steadfast is the settling, right? So when you look at a house and you lay a foundation in a house, I, I mean, I, I know when we, um, when we first, the first house that we purchased, I remember them telling us, the builders saying, listen, you know, when you move into this house, there's something that you may notice. You may notice that um, as the house settles, what may occur is that you may start to see some cracks. Tiles may crack, right? Things may, may happen. You in, in our garage, I remember that there was this crack that just continued to get longer and longer and bigger and bigger and it's because as the house settled then what happened was these cracks become became you know started to um, surface and here's the thing those things are normal as the house settles because it's concrete right we I mean and obviously you know you have the ground that is I mean it's not as hard so there's going to be that settling factor there and 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 the reality is though there is there is some settling that is abnormal are you here right like, there, there can be sinkholes, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, it's not just a crack. It's like your house is swallowed, right? Like, that's a problem, you know? Or you can have a sinkhole, and it's not that your house is swallowed. It's that you start to see a crack in your, whole, in, in your whole settlement there because what? Because your house does not have a firm foundation. It's the same thing when we're looking at faith and what Jesus has done. If our foundation is not solid, then when our lives start to settle in, in other words, when different trials, when different tests, when different things start to come our way, you want to know what starts to happen? The foundation gets exposed. And if our foundation is not solid in Jesus alone, then you know what starts to happen? We start falling apart. Are you here? And Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, the only way this happens is if you don't fall away from this hope that is there, if you don't stray away from, if you remain steadfast in the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, that what Jesus said, remember we talked about in the beginning, the only reason why Jesus can do what he said he can do is because of who he is. We have to believe who he says he is in order for us to see what it is that God wants to do in our lives. God's love for us revealed in Christ motivates us to do what? To persevere. His finished work keeps us faithful, listen to this, until he's finished in us. His finished work keeps us faithful until he's finished in us. That is the foundation. And so, you know, when we look at our lives, we have to ask ourselves this question, and this is my closing question. Are you standing firm in your faith? Are you standing firm in your faith? You've been reconciled because of what Jesus has done if you put your faith in him. The question is, are you standing firm in it? Are you standing firm? Are you becoming more holy like he is? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you walking in that blamelessness? Are you growing in that mindset and, or, or in, your, in your ability to be above reproach? Are you standing firm in your faith? Listen, if you say in this place, you're being honest, you're saying, I'm not standing firm in my faith. My, my, my life is falling apart. Things are falling apart. I'm not standing firm. Today's a day for you to cry out to God and say, God, forgive me for trusting my own ability. Forgive me for trusting in something other than your finished work for my life. Forgive me for not trusting you with everything in my life and believing that, listen, you died on that cross. You reconciled all things. And I may be going through difficulty. I may be going through trial. But you promise never to leave me nor forsake me. You promise to be with me to the end. If you are saying, man, God, if that's you in this place, call upon him today. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, if you have never trusted him, today is the day that you can trust his power to reconcile you and bring you into a relationship, to restore what has been broken because of sin. But you've got to call upon him today. Amen? Amen. So I'll stand on our feet. Let's pray together. 
Father, we come to you this day and we humble our hearts in your presence and we pray, Spirit of the Lord, that you would help us to trust you with our lives, that you would help us to stand firm in the faith, that you would help us to be yielded vessels to you. Lord, may you be glorified in each and every one of our lives and may you help us to stand firm. And Lord, I pray that as our lives settle around us, as the, as the dust settles from trials and tribulation, God, I pray that the foundation, the sure foundation that we have in you, that it would be solid, that it would be secure, that our lives would not be falling apart. And I pray for those in this place that they may feel like their lives are falling apart, like things are just not falling into line and they're struggling to hold on. I pray today that they would come back to the hope that is in the gospel that they would come back to that place of faith. And I pray for anyone in here, God, that does not know you yet, that has not put their faith in you completely, God. Today, may they turn from their sin, and may they trust in you as God, as Savior, as the Reconciler, Lord. We thank you for all of this. We pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.